Hello, happy 2023. It's your host, Joel Lalji. Welcome to Recruiting is No Joke. I'm coming live from Adidas. I'm not really, but on every video I do, I have Adidas and they should sponsor me. Uh, but talking about sponsors, I want to give a quick shout out to our sponsors, Bright Hire. Um, and you can join the Shine community as well, which is a community full of recruiters and TA folks. Um, and I'm going to put those links in the comments. But I'm super excited today for our first conversation of the year. We've got a great guest. We're going to be talking about um, remote work, remote culture, working from anywhere, which uh, it's super exciting. And, uh, and just as a reminder, guys, just let me know who is out there. Get in the chat, tell me what company you're with. And then if you have questions as well, uh, we will get to those. We'll get to as many questions as possible. Uh, but I see already see people saying hi. So hello, everybody out there. But um, let's let's get to uh, let's get to our guest. Vanessa, welcome to the show. Great to have you here. I'd love for you just to give yeah, a quick introduction on on yourself and uh, and then we'll get into the conversation. Yeah, thanks so much for having me, Joel. Can you hear me okay? Are you hearing I, the honking I can in the hear background? You. I'm hearing honking, but it's great. Yeah, this is, it's, this is amazing. This, this is, is live. This is what happens, right? So I, I think just before I do my intro, um, I'm in <laughs> Lima, Peru, which you know, but the rest of the humans here wouldn't. And it is, in fact, quite noisy. I'm on an 11th floor, but you can still hear the noise from the street. So I apologize in advance. There's a little honking. There's a little saxophone playing. I don't know if you hear that now. But I, I promise lots of lots of fun potential so are you, small are you, interruptions. Are you like downtown then? Is that where you're at? I am in a neighborhood called Barranco, which is okay. like an up and coming, more like artisty neighborhood, cool. which makes sense for the saxophone playing outside. You hear it or you don't hear it yet? I don't hear the saxophone, no saxophone. but I definitely heard some of that honking. It was like perfect timing as soon as we jumped on. It's like beep, yeah. beep. I love that. Yeah. Well, hopefully we don't hear too much of it. Today. <laughs> uh, but yeah, thank you so much for having me, Joel. I'm Vanessa. I'm the VP of People and Culture at PolicyMe. And PolicyMe is a digital life insurance company on a mission to deliver affordable insurance for Canadian families. We're Toronto-based, but remote first. So that's why I am in Lima. We're just under 50 employees. We grew quite a bit since 2020. And are hiring a lot right now. We're hoping to reach about 70 by the summertime. So lots of interesting opportunities uh, coming our way. So super excited to be here and to be able to chat everything PNC and recruitment with you. Hey guys, thanks so much for tuning in to this week's episode of Recruiting is No Joke. I wanted to give a quick shout out to my sponsor, Bright Hire. The old way of hiring just doesn't cut it anymore. And my friends at Bright Hire are here to help. BrightHire is a leading interview intelligence platform for improving quality of hire at talent-first companies. Their technology records and transcribes interviews and creates a set of highlights you can revisit and share to streamline the process, improve the candidate experience, and give teams better information to make the best possible hiring decisions. If you're looking to improve your quality of hire and reduce bias in your hiring process, Visit brighthired.com today and let them know Joel sent you. Now back to the episode. Thanks again. Yeah, no, very, very cool. And uh, I love your LinkedIn content, by the way. Anyone who is out there, if you don't follow Vanessa, you definitely need to follow her. I'll put the links to to her uh, her profile. Um, why, don't, why, why don't you, um, Kenny, share a little bit about how you got involved in that 
kind of people function, recruiting, like how, how did you get started? I'm always curious to hear about that. Sure. Thanks, Joel. Uh, I think that, and you know, we've, we chatted about it a little before, but when it comes to getting into the people side of things, I think there's some people that take the, the more traditional route. You know, you start in more of a coordinator role or a junior TA role, and then you kind of move up. I would say I definitely didn't start that way, but there's also a lot of us that didn't start that way. So I started my career out as a management consultant. So I used to be a strategy consultant at Monitor Deloitte, which is the strategy group at Deloitte. And there, one of the things that I found is when I was doing my strategy work, I was always curious as to, you know, what are the people implications of this project or who's going to deliver the day-to-day -day recommendations that we're mm. leaving a client with. And on the side, while doing my casework, I started leading recruitment for Queens University, which is where I've done my undergrad to bring other management consultants into the business. And I fell in love with it. And I used to go to Queen's University like eight times a year on weekends. I was the person that was at every conference, every event, just trying to essentially support building that brand on campus. But I was doing it side of desk. So as you can imagine, that kind of got a little bit much, but it became one of the parts that I loved most about my day to day. And coming out of management consulting, I actually ended up co-founding an HR tech startup in Germany. So a totally different and random direction to take. But it was looking at the challenges that I've seen with essentially new grads applying for jobs and just like the difficulty with high volumes of applicants. And when ultimately our startup didn't work, I ended up fully transitioning into the people space. So it's been about five years since I've been fully, fully in the people side of things. And I've done everything for... Uh, ranging from more like workforce planning, which is kind of what I was doing to, to support some initial components around skill mapping and career laddering, which then I've brought more into the startup world, leading everything from recruitment to culture building, performance reviews, building high performance teams. So how all those components uh, come together. And I've done it, um, I would say like within the tech space for the last uh, three-ish years, I'm looking at, I'm like 2023, yes. <laughs> it's about three years. Who knows? Yeah. Sometimes I'm like, it's 2019. I don't know if this happened to Joel, <laughs> but like when you write the wrong date and you're like, what happened? So I, I think there's many of us that somehow got stuck in like that COVID um, vortex and still write the wrong year sometimes. But yeah, it's been about three years in, in the full realm of the tech PNC recruitment space. And then prior to that, I was also doing some people side of things uh, within the Winnipeg community, which was really exciting as well. Yeah, very cool. So I, I guess... Um... I know we were talking be, be kind of beforehand before the show, um, and I, I know for anyone who follows you, they'll be you know kind of aware of of the remote first policy you guys have, and and you know how you run the team fully remotely. Obviously, you're working from Peru right now, which is super cool. You're definitely taking advantage of, of being able to work remotely. But I think we're seeing a lot in the market right now. Like you, obviously Disney, they just announced like they're having kind of that mandate, return to office, hybrid work. Um, I guess what what's your take on like why we're seeing this happen so much kind of right now and like, you know, over, particularly over the last three months, I want to say just been such such a, a shift from, hey, we're going to do everything remotely, we're open to that. And now we're just seeing more and more, you know, hybrid work um, environments and then also, you know, even just, even just people Kind of being mandated back to the office four or five days a week like why why do you think that's happening and um yeah just curious on your take on that yeah it, i've seen it too joel and i think it's an interesting change i think a couple of things i think first to start with the start of a new year 
a lot of companies use this time to roll out policies and changes. So mm. I, I'm not surprised by us seeing kind of a, a bulk shift right now because these are probably the plans that were being assessed over the last you know, six months. What are we going to do with the new year? What are we going to recommend for our employees? And some of these things coming into practice. But beyond the timing, one of the things that I found is there's companies that I think shifted to remote, but didn't realize that running a company remote first is not the same as running a company in person. And there's more intentional activities and components that need to be built in so that you can run a company remote first effectively. So for example, there's things on the, how you run the business side of things. So everything from team efficiency, team performance, company communications. And then there's like the social aspect, which is how do you continue to enable people to build the relationships, build the bonds, feel like the company culture is ingrained within them, that they like to show up to work every day, even if they're not physically with other people in that space. So I would say on, on the first side of things, on essentially like the day-to-day -day management, the communication component, we do a lot of different things. Like most teams still have their daily stand-up at the start of the day. They're checking in, they're ensuring they're aligned for the day. And we're very much focused on OKRs and output so that it's easy to measure how teams and individuals are progressing. So it creates a culture of accountability, right? People know what the expectations are. Teams are meeting on a regular basis, but not just like an hour of meeting time for no reason. They're like quick 15 minute check-ins. They're used efficiently and effectively so that they can kind of get the most out of them. And essentially it enables our employees to organize around their work in an effective way. And then on the social side of things, we do so much on the virtual side of things. So we do an alternating company or team social every month for which we give teams budget to do their own thing or we run something as an entire company. We host, uh, this one is kind of like in the middle, but we do every other Friday a demo day and a warm and fuzzies so teams can share their work and what they're up to and also give shout outs. And we recently started, which again, kind of falls in the middle, but a manager and leadership training program with two cohorts that kicked off now in January. And on top of that, monthly learning sessions for the entire company. So we're just really intentional about setting all these structures to make being a remote first company work. And these are the things that we've learned over time from being remote. I, I will say, though, just to be fair, we get together in person three times a year. And our next in-person event in Toronto is next week. And I am flying back for it because we do also think that nothing does replace meeting your colleagues in person sometimes. But what we found is you don't need to see them every day or every month to be able to build those bonds. And we've seen that every three to four months is enough for people to meet, for new hires to meet their colleagues, and then for us to build with all of those practices that we've put in place. So to go back to your question, I think for companies that just haven't really thoughtfully implemented strategies for how do we make the work component work and how do we make the social component work, then one of the two is kind of starting to fall apart. And then they're finding, okay, it's probably that we're remote and then they go back to office. So I, I think it's just, it just takes a bit more effort. Like, let's be real, you know, this wasn't how we set up work originally. So you have to reset it and recreate it for it to work. Do you, do you think that eventually there'll just be two types of companies? Like you'll just have kind of like remote companies and then you'll have companies that don't embrace. I mean, do like, do you think that that's kind of the future of it? Or do you, are you, do you still think that, you know, like after, I don't know, whatever time period, this downturn will let how, however long that will be, but let's say there's a change in the economy and suddenly people are hiring a lot again and 
um, it becomes really, really competitive and it switches back to a candidate market, do you think that then it will switch back to like more companies being open to remote work because they have to? Or do you just think that like in the future, they'll just be like companies that are like, hey, you know, we're hybrid. We need that office presence and we're fully remote. Like, do you think those two camps will, will happen? I think it's a really interesting question and I wish I had a crystal ball to, to know because I'm also curious to see. I do think to find the best talent, flexibility continues to be the number one thing that employees ask for. And that means being the owners of crafting part of your their own employee mm. experience, right? And choosing where you work from is one of the biggest decisions you can make. And I will say we also have an office in Toronto, right? Like people can go in person if they want because there were some people that wanted that. So we offer that as well. But we don't really have anyone going in every day. And we don't tell anyone you have to go on Tuesdays, right? So it's just like giving people the flexibility, I think, will continue to be huge. Now, to, to your point, yes, we're in a market that's not as candidate-led as it was uh, in other moments of the last few years. But yeah. I will say the, the best candidates still have a lot of opportunities. And from someone that's hiring into multiple roles right now, the, the people that are really good are still quite competitive to attract and retain. So I, I think it's just one of those things that if you're not intentional about offering that flexibility, it's not going to get easier to attract and keep those people. Yeah. I, and I think that, I mean, that's what the issue is, right? It's it's not a case of like remote work, four-day work week, all these different things. It really does come down to that flexibility to be able to do, do what you're paid to do when you want to yeah. do it and how you want to do it. And if you're a high performer, you're going to take that responsibility and you're going to get the job done, right? Like you're, you're going to hit those results that you need to hit. Um, and you should be able to make those decisions. And someone, someone else, this is a good point here. Um, someone said work from home is easier with smaller scale companies. Um, I, I don't know. Do you think that that that's true? I mean, I can kind of see, I've thought about that before too, like, you know, with a company like Disney, that's huge or, you know, some of these larger organizations, they seem to be more prone to getting people back to the office. So is it a case of like the size of company? I mean, do you think that impacts it? Yeah, I actually do think it does impact it. I think it is more complex the bigger an organization is. Um, one of the things that I was talking about recently with someone is how I think we're seeing more and more different teams and especially in larger organizations, like different departments or areas of the business just have different cultures, right? And I think that permeates more and more. and the bigger an organization, the more of these subcultures and ways of working that you have. So I think it gets harder the bigger the company is, right? Because you're in a situation where then it may work great for, you know, teams one, seven, 25 and 32, but then it's not working great for, for the remainder. Whereas like when you're a smaller company, there is still a little bit less of that division across different parts of the business. So I, I do think it definitely is easier for companies that are smaller to continue to essentially think about what's intentionally required for remote to work, because when a company does get bigger, it is ultimately harder. So I, I'm not saying it's like impossible to do because I think many companies are doing it really well, but I, I do think it is more challenging. And again, I, I do think what comes though with a bigger company is more of an opportunity to build a team around it if that's something that you're really interested in offering your employees from a flexibility standpoint like there are many companies that have there's that honking yeah, that yeah. have that have you know a head of remote now and that have teams around building employee experience with kind of like that remote first
mindset. So yeah, I, I do think it does get a little bit more complex the larger you are. But again, I think that also means more resources to figure out how to potentially make that flexibility work. Yeah. And I like what you said too, uh, you know, where you earlier, where you just said it's hard work. Right. And I do think that a lot of times because companies were forced to do the work from home, it was kind of like an arm twisted behind the back. Like, All right. Yeah. We have to do this. Um, but I think companies, um, companies that have just been intentional with it right from the, the get go and actually believe in it, they're willing to, to figure out how do we make this work instead of just like you said, okay, times are a little bit tougher or, you know, maybe we need to, you know, maybe we see a drop in pr productivity and then they've just said, okay, right away, it's remote work. This is the issue. Instead of looking at it and going, okay, well, we've just had a pandemic. There's a lot of like factors that are really stressful in people's lives right now that could be impacting work performance and things like that. Um, what, what about, I guess, in terms of like these in-person events that you hold, like, do you do, do you, are you doing anything different with those in-person events that maybe you, you wouldn't have done in the past, you know, when everyone was going in to the office every day, like how do those in-person yeah. events kind of work and how do you keep those intentional to really build those bonds when you, when you have that short amount of time together? Yeah, it's a really good question. So one of the things that I think is very different from companies that are in person is a lot of the times when they do those like big company meetings or things like that, a lot of the purpose is updates, right? So talking about the changes to the strategy, talking about up and coming challenges or projects or opportunities, whereas ours are fully focused on the social aspect. Mm -hmm. There is very, very minimal of here's the update on our strategy. Here's this like in fact, our founders talk for like maybe five to 15 minutes in an entire day. And that's the bulk of it. The reason why is because a lot of that can be done remotely in terms of like sharing a slide deck, sharing presentations and what that looks like. So we really focus our in-person time on social connection. I want to tell you a little bit more about how we build these out because they follow a particular structure that we've found to actually be quite effective. So. Basically what we do is first we do a lunch at our office and it's just like a casual, everyone shows up, we have it catered and it's like a ride between this time and this time. And then the afternoon we focus on an experiential activity. What I mean by that is like something that you wouldn't be able to do unless like someone is organizing it for you and that it's more uh, rare or something that is gonna be memorable and a shared experience. So I'll give you mm -hmm. a couple examples. We in June organized a scavenger hunt across Toronto that someone on our team designed and teams went across like an entire area and they had different challenges to compete for. And like the teams had gift cards to like buy different things and achieve their challenges. And it was just like a really unique experience that people got to take part in. And then in our September event, we did treetop trekking. So like totally different. We were outdoors zip lining like through a forest. And that's awesome. I love that. We, yeah, it was super fun. And do, we, did we, you catch some video yeah. of that? Cause I'm just thinking that would make some he, awesome yes, content. We did. We have like a little bit, there's actually, um, so I tend to like unintentionally be a bit ridiculous sometimes <laughs> I'm afraid of heights or like, I just like, I will stand up on a chair during our company parties and like do announcements, you know? So there's like a really funny video of me treetop trekking. I'm like holding on for dear life like this. And like someone started filming it and zooming in. I was really not doing it well, but I was trying my best. Uh, but, you know, a, a pretty funny shot uh, that was then sent around. But there, yeah, there were a lot of uh, good, good pictures and videos from that day. But um, anyway, so what we do is we try to do that part. And then that usually ends around like 5 p.m. And the reason for that is we do have parents and sometimes people just need to go home 
and they can't do an entire day and evening with their colleagues because they have personal responsibilities that they need to take care of. So we think of our in-person events as modular, which means if you are the type of human that like just really needs that evening for yourself or your family, amazing, but you can still take part in a good chunk of the day. But then for yeah. those that are happy to do an evening component, the day continues and we do an evening portion and we've done different things like having, you know, catered poke bowls to like our founder's house or food trucks or things like that. Or we rent out a space in Toronto and do like a pasta round style dinner. This time we actually have our next event next week. We're going to spin in Toronto, which is like a ping pong place. And then we'll have pasta around food. And then after that, we have a couple karaoke rooms booked. So as you can tell, the entire day is really focused on just like natural connections and collisions between humans, having people break out into smaller groups, bigger groups, and just engage with each other throughout the day. And what we found is at the end of those, everyone just gets to meet someone they didn't know as well before, or they end up having an experience with someone from a different team, or they end up getting closer with someone on their own team. So our focus is very much like intentional social connection, because that's the thing that we've found is the hardest to essentially yeah. replicate remotely. So even though we do our virtual socials and we had a really funny end of the year wrap up virtually in December, it is those in-person moments that enable that connection to essentially be sustained throughout the year. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I love that. And I think, uh, you know, I'm just thinking about in-person events. Like we just had our in-person event uh, for Hirewell. We, I think we do two of them a year. Um, yeah. And I would say like a good bulk of it is kind of like updates on the company and, and those types of things. But it definitely is, I think you come away, you definitely come away from those times, like really re-energized and you, you feel more yes. connected to everybody, which, you know, I, I don't think anyone doubts that, that that's important. Um, but I, I love that. I love the way that you said that, like, you're really being able to just focus on that throughout the whole day. I think uh, that might be something that, you know, maybe, maybe I have a chat with our, our team about, because I think that that's, I think going into those events, like if you know that it is just going to be social um, as well, like your mindset around around those events is different. But I also think that when we get together, even though we have a focus around, um, you know, the company and what we're doing, naturally we become very social, you know, and yes, I think anytime you sure. get together with a group of people like that as well. Um, yeah, that's very, very cool. So why, why don't you, um, one of the questions I get a lot, um, not so much on LinkedIn, but I get a lot of these questions on um, on TikTok. Is, is another. I was just gonna say if it was TikTok, Joel, which is so funny because I'm still not on TikTok, and I still feel like you have to teach me sometime what it looks like to be on TikTok because it, it looks like answering a lot of questions about people. Uh, people are really curious about startup life. They're curious about mm. about tech. Like I, I found that it's the same on LinkedIn too. Like there are definitely a lot of people I think will who will ask questions about. You know, how do I break into tech? Like, there's a lot of people who are really focused on that right now. Yeah. A lot of teachers, for example, looking to break in into tech. Um, but one of the things that comes up a lot is, is, you know, I think there's there's like ideas that people have have of like what it's like to work in a startup, and um, you know, maybe they have like ideas that just aren't accurate. So I guess from your perspective, you've been in the tech world for you know three years. Um, like, what what were some of like the surprises or maybe things that you that kind of shocked you about coming into the tech world and maybe some of those thoughts that um, people have that might not be accurate. Like just give us your perspective in, into the tech world and, and startup world of, of like what things can actually be like and maybe what some of those myths are that, that you experience yourself. Yeah, 
I think it's a really good question. And I, I've also received it myself. I think it is different if you're in a bigger tech company or a smaller tech company, like a startup. I think in the bigger tech company setting, it's it, I didn't find it to be like that different from working in a different corporate environment, just because there's still uh, a company that's more established is bound to have more processes, is bound to have just like the ways that things are done, especially when a company has been around for 20 plus years and there's you know people that are in more traditional roles. So I think one of the things that I've actually found most interesting is like when I moved into the startup world, which was like both having co-founded one, but now being in policy me and just seeing how we operate. I think some of the realities is just like everyone that comes in is mostly building things for the first time. And I think that is one of the things that is in fact very true if you join a startup or a smaller company. Uh, I mean, I, I guess any small company that's just starting out would be a startup. Some are tech based, some are not, some are more tech enabled. But if you, know, if you join a startup company, I think just the ownership component becomes really real because those things are just not set up, right? You're walking into an organization where sometimes roles are a little bit more undefined, where you're helping define your role, where you're showing the potential of what a role can be, because most of the time, no one has done your role there before, mm. right? Like you are the first hire into X. And now that we're getting a little bit bigger and, you know, we we do have maybe more people coming into similar roles, like, for example, on the software engineering side of things, there definitely is, is more there to help people onboard, to help people understand how we build things and how that operates. And it's actually been really interesting because in our last set of new hires that came in, we started getting this feedback around like documentation and people just wanting more things written. And sure. because we're bringing in a whole bunch of engineers over the next two quarters, we now prioritize documentation, which is just like not something that before had like been. Do, like documentation on, on just like kind of processes on like how, yeah, to, like, how to build things. Yeah, how, how exactly like how we approach this technology, how this thing was built or like information to onboard people that mm. they can read and access. So like when you're a developer and you have a question, there's like a place to go to read up on it as opposed to always having to ask someone, which I think as teams get bigger starts to happen, right? And I would say, now we have a much more like mature employee handbook where people can go and get answers to things. So I think one of the biggest changes that I see is kind of first when you join, when a company is really small, you're definitely building. It's like phase one. You're doing something that's never been done before and you have the ability to like show the potential for what that can be. And then as you start to grow, it's more like continuing to iterate and making sure that we're taking that feedback of more people coming in and continuing to adjust. I think though, beyond that, one of the things that I've found just being in a startup is it's a lot easier for things to move quickly. We do a lot of strategic planning and we use a lot of data and we do a lot of analysis before making decisions, but ultimately there aren't like three different presentations you need to do to four different stakeholder groups that all need to give you the okay before you do X, right? Yeah. So it just moves faster. And even on the people side of things, right? Like coming from bigger organizations in the past, like I remember, you know, you're trying to get a new HRIS or a new ATS or an adjacent component of a tool that's gonna do X. And to get that approved, it's usually not just like the selection process of like, these are my top three that I spoke to, this is why, this is price, this is all the criteria, but it's like taking that presentation and doing it for three different groups of people that then mm -hmm. all need to be al aligned for those approvals. And I, I think that that 
complexity of stakeholder engagement, of kind of repetitive, uh, call it sets of presentations for approval processes, th that just doesn't really happen in a startup because like there aren't enough groups that like have to approve things. Uh, and I find personally, if you're the type of person that likes to be very action oriented and to move quickly, that kind of feels a bit like a relief. Because if you want to get something done, but you're always kind of waiting and things get pushed out, it can be really nice to feel like things are moving quickly. Does that help? I, I don't know that yeah. I answered your question that well. I think it's kind of a bit of just my experience with, with how I've seen it over the last little while. No, it's great. I mean, I think, um, you know, I think, I think that's a big reason why a lot of times, you know, startups, they want people who have experience in another startup environment, right? Because there's yes. that ownership aspect. Uh, there's times where what you're expected to do isn't going to be mapped out as well. So you've, you've got to kind of figure out what you're doing as well and, and be you know flexible with things. Um, yeah, I, I really do think that that does help. What, what advice, I guess, would, would you give to people who are maybe looking to transition into into tech or in, into a startup? Obviously, you know, now with layoffs, that could be a little bit more of a challenge, but I guess are there are there kind of key things that you look for in people that are, are kind of coming from more traditional backgrounds or at co companies that are at you know more I guess more traditional companies like what what kind of things stick out to you and what, what what would be your advice to people that are looking to make that transition? Yeah, that's a really good question, Joel. I think definitely the adaptability and flexibility component and being able to show that you're okay with pivoting. Also, something that happens a lot in a startup: you're working on something, something changes, you have to change direction. In some larger organizations, you know, the plan is set for 12 to 24 months and rarely changes. Here, the plan is set for one to two quarters and you could see some shifts. You know, we have a sure. broader strategy that we're going towards, but we make quicker changes. So I think the ability to be agile, adaptable, ability to pivot and be flexible, kind of all those words that relate to one another uh, is key to see. And then I also think that just being mindful that you're kind of coming into a place where you're going to have to come to the table, yes, with challenges and problems, but be solution first, because the person that you're talking to probably also doesn't have the answer because it's the first time that this has come up or the first time that you're looking to address this. So I think that the more that someone can come to the table just thinking about ways that a problem can be solved instead of just bringing the problem, it's just so much more effective and enables a startup to, to move faster. And the last thing that I'd say, something that I see uh, sometimes when I'm interviewing candidates that don't have startup experience or like experience in tech, it's just, just try to put yourself in the context of like the interview and the company, take a look at their careers page, look through their LinkedIn, see what kind of like that culture is like, and think about how you're going to answer. Because sometimes you get someone that is just like, very traditional in responses or, you know, very hierarchical in how they talk about their day to day or their manager and the approval and the process. And just, I think those kinds of uh, indications sometimes can then come against that, you know, are you actually flexible? Are you going to be able to adapt to this different environment? Or do you need this very constructed way for your day to day to work well for you? So I think if you're looking to move into a startup, just like, um, kind of imagine if before going in an interview, you like get into the mindset of I am in that startup. What does mm. it look like to be in that startup? What does it feel like around me? Even if it's remote first, it's like, what are my colleagues? Like, how do they talk to one another? How do I think I fit into that context and that setting? 
And I think, you know, how some people before interviews, like do the big like power pose or like they do different things just to get that energy. You saw like, me before confidence. this interview doing that, didn't you? I saw you just <laughs> in the background. I'm just kidding. Um, but, you know, I, I think in the same way that people do those things, it can be super beneficial to just like take a minute and contextualize like what you're going into so that you can be just more mindful of the people that you're being interviewed by, what the environment's actually going to be like. So then you're able to just essentially show the version of yourself that is going to do best in that environment too. Mm, that's really insightful. Yeah, I hadn't, I think that's a great tip just to, you know, obviously see, soak in as much, you know, content that people have on the career pages or if they've got podcasts, whatever it is, and start starting to like kind of envision yourself in the environment. I think that's, uh, it's probably the first time I've ever heard that advice. So I think that's, uh, that's super valuable. And I just want to go back to a couple of these comments as well, because we were getting some really good comments on uh, the work from home. So Brian just said, um, he said company size definitely plays a part. He says Visa, they're hybrid, but they have the flexibility, which I think what we were talking about, right? Flexibility yes. is, the, is the key. Um, a lot of CEOs saying hard to track results from work from home. Salesforce CEO, not happy with productivity. Ideas on how to iterate and process improve for new workers. Um, L and D and onboard or onboarded stat standards. So I guess there's a question like, um, you know, how we can, how you can, how, you, how we can kind of improve those processes for new workers, um, onboarding. Uh, yeah, I guess what, what, I know you mentioned it, obviously you've, you've had some, um, recent new hires and you've had to kind of do, you know, some different onboarding. So what have, have you, is there anything, you think for like remote specific companies that they need to think about when it comes to the onboarding and those types of processes and L and D? Yeah, it, it's a really good question. You know, I think part of um, the sentiment I was reading there too, I think is like about showing that you're getting things done. I think when there's a lack of trust, especially from a CEO or from an executive team, part of that is usually around that trust component. Like are people actually working? Are people onboarding? Are people upscaling, growing, learning? Are all these things happening? And I know it's annoying to track things, but I think because remote work and being remote first is such a privilege. And I still, like I say to people, I, I know that this was intentionally built. We put a lot of time and energy and thought into how we do it. It is a privilege. I feel grateful every day to be able to work from where I'm working. I know mm. this may not last forever. Like I definitely take it as something that I know I'm really lucky to, to have. So knowing that I also realize that there's some things I don't love to do that maybe are just like helpful to do given that I get this big advantage. So for example, really writing down certain pieces that maybe if you're in office, like someone can just come by and ask, you know, how's your onboarding going? Great, Janine, loving the content. Janine <laughs> never came by. You're alone at home, totally. right? So tell Janine that mm. you watched the three videos and loved how like at minute 14, I heard that really interesting thing on our values. Cannot wait to apply it. Amazing. Mm. Now Janine is like super confident that you actually are doing the onboarding. And I think that's where as an employee, you can do so much to mm -hmm. make your leaders see that you are getting things done, that you are someone that can work remotely and that this is something that works. Of course, once you've been in an organization for longer and you've built up that trust, you don't have to say to Janine every day, hey, Janine, I'm at work today. Like, hello, you know. Yeah, that, that would know? just get, Janine would be like, annoying. Right. Yeah. <laughs> 
stop slacking me now. Okay. Yeah. I get yeah. It. Janine will say to you, Joel, I know you're working. Like you don't have to message me every morning at nine. But no, it, I think, you know, especially as you're onboarding into a new organization, just like do those things that you can then like it really I, I know it's maybe like annoying to actually watch the entire thing of onboarding, which maybe if you're at the office, you don't feel the need to do because you go talk to someone else and they tell you about it. But like invest that extra time, spend a little bit more up front, make people feel comfortable with the fact that you really are investing the time and energy and then that trust starts to be built. So I, I think we have already talked about how it is a little bit easier with smaller companies because, of course, you know, there isn't hundreds of people that have to essentially learn these types of behaviors. But I think all it takes is essentially there to be that investment in what we were discussing, like a head of remote or a remote experience team that then teaches employees like how to do these things so that accountability can be measured and tracked. And that was just an onboarding example, right? No, There's that... many ways to do this with like your OKRs too. That's so smart. And I think that's something I think companies, someone, someone brought it up. Someone asked me this question the other day. I can't, I, I think I was on a live show with someone and they asked me, they, they, they were talking about, um, you know, like, how do you like, are, are like younger employees missing out on like the office experience? Um, like, is that actually a critical part of like working at a company that they're kind of missing out on if they're working remotely? But I think the opposite is it's almost kind of true with remote work. Like sometimes you need to have like some training on like, hey, here's what our policy looks like. And here's how you can show that accountability. Um, I think that's massively important. And that's probably the first time, again, like I've heard someone say, like, just be be intentional with things like that. You know, yeah. And you have to be more intentional if you want to build relationships. I think that's that can be a challenge for people, though, you know, in, in general, whether they're in the office as well. Like, you know, are you checking in with your boss? Like, are you checking in with your coworkers? Are you texting them? All that type of stuff. Um, no, it's, it's, it's really helpful. One, one other person made a comment, and then I want to move on to the last topic here before we uh, we sign off. But they, Alejandro just said, talent attraction and retention is an issue for all of us right now. Bigger scale companies may need, may indeed need to be harder to manage while work from home. But they have the resources to build the structure to do it, which is what you, which you what you said as well. Um, it really comes down to that commitment and that commit competitiveness in a hot market. So I think a lot of people agreeing with what you're saying, which is great. Um, I'm I'm curious, like right now, we're seeing a lot about layoffs. Obviously, that's all we're seeing on LinkedIn. How you guys are hiring as well, which is great news, and we'll um, you know definitely go check out the the career page as well at Policy Me, but. How are you, I guess, handling those conversations internally with like your current employees in terms of like just the whole, you know, how, how are you handling like the anxiety of just layoffs as a whole? And then I guess when it comes to candidates as well, when you're having conversations with them, you know, what are, what are some of the questions maybe you're hearing now that you weren't hearing six months ago and how are you kind of handling those conversations as well? Yeah. So in internally first, um, I think last year around that, like, April, May timeframe when the market shifted and it really went from, uh, you know, startups are not going to get investment by growing at all costs. They need to be growing profitably. And it's about how you're using your resources. And when all of those communications were coming out from Sequoia and Y Combinator around strategies and basically advice for startups during that time, I would say one of the things that our founders did incredibly well was just sit down think through it and pivot quickly. And mm -hmm. we realized that, you know, we were in the middle of raising capital and 
it may take longer to raise another round afterwards. So it was like, how are we going to stretch that further? What are the changes that we need to be making? And we were going to hire a lot more last year. And we didn't because we wanted to understand what the market looked like. We knew that we would have to hire only the roles that we absolutely needed. And we just changed our philosophy a little bit. And it served as well because we were able to grow profitably and to grow in a way that was sustainable. And now going into this year, we have the ability to do that broader hiring push because we were conscious about things last year. And we were super transparent with our employees every step of the way. And we said, look, like when all this communication was coming out, we said there's at this time not going to be any layoffs. If there's any changes or there's something coming up that we think is going to impact our thinking on that, we will let you know and we promise we'll keep updating you. And thankfully, we never had to do an update. You know, there was never a, hey, now we need to do layoffs because, because we made that change so fast. Mm. And I think what I see now in the market is, well, continuing on that inside thread just for a second longer, yeah. I think we built up that trust with the employees because of the transparency, because they saw how it was handled. And therefore, there wasn't this fear now of like, oh, my God, what's going to happen to my job? Like this time around, we're not really feeling it in the same way we were last year. But I do see with candidates, there's two really interesting things happening. One, and this did start last year, but you get a lot more of the question of like, you know, what are your future projects or how are you securing your funding or what does it look like to to be at Policy Me 24 months from now? Like, do you have the resources to be a viable organization? And, you know, I will say no startup is as safe of a bet as a more established company. Of course, it's just like the higher risk, higher reward that you take when you're joining something that's more early stage. But definitely people are asking more questions around company strategy, around how we manage resources. So that is something I'm seeing. But the other thing which I was talking to you about briefly before we got on the show that I think is super interesting on the candidate side is I've seen this really big shift to just if someone has experienced a layoff, they're not really just jumping at the next thing mm. when people can and they have the financial means or the flexibility in, in their environment they're taking a little bit longer to actually take that time to be intentional and to consider what do I want to do next? Where do I want to be working? And, and it's been really interesting because there's many people that I speak to that were part of layoffs just now in December that are like, yeah, but I'm not in any rush. Like I'm just starting to have conversations. I want to find the right place for me. And that's been, I think, a really interesting change that happened over the last year because I think that we're more understanding that the market dynamics, especially in tech, will likely continue to happen, right? So people are not just going to jump at something because they were part of a layoff. They're going to be thoughtful if they can and give themselves the time. So I think where that's really important, especially for those that are hiring, is yes, it may be less of a candidate-led market than it was before. But to what I was talking about with you earlier, it doesn't mean that candidates have like any less buying power for good job opportunities because a lot of them are just going to wait until they get something that makes sense for them. So I don't think it's a time to like undervalue talent or not offer people an opportunity that's like right for them, because then when the market shifts a little bit, those are the people that are going to leave. So it's just important to think about that longer term component. I was just going to ask yeah. you, what are the, some like when you're saying like, you know, something that's right for me, like what are some of the things that, I mean, you mentioned some of it with like, you know, the financial stability of a company and how they're using resources and, and, and that, I guess are there, what are, what are some of the things you're kind of seeing that people are really valuing right now that maybe has shifted as well? 
Oh yeah, hundred percent. And I would say those are the um, those questions are more the things that I think I'm being asked now that I wasn't. But yeah. the things that people are really coming my way with is okay. Talk to me about what flexibility actually looks like, or it looks like you can work remotely at policy. What does that actually mean? Like, can you actually work remotely? Is there a requirement to be in office? That's still one of the questions that we get the most. And then on the flip side, like, what benefits do you offer? What are your approaches? to essentially taking employee feedback? How do you look to supplement decisions with taking employee perspectives and like so many more thoughtful questions just around like, what is it gonna feel like to be a mm. part of this organization? And do I feel like that environment is gonna be a good one for me, right? And I, I think a lot too is like, are you investing in the development of leaders and, and managers in the organization? Like people are just caring more about the environments they're gonna work in, the people they're gonna work for, and just the entire surrounding of their employee experience, I'm seeing so much more insight because I do think what's happened is just like people have access to the information, right? Like Joel, we're doing a live right now. Anyone can watch this. So it's no secret. Not that, the people I block though. <laughs> not the people you block, you know, but everyone else can yeah. watch this. So for anyone that's looking for an opportunity, there's ample mm. information about what work can look like. So that means that candidates are just better informed on what they can ask about or what they can ask for. And I'm definitely seeing a lot more of that. Yeah. It's so interesting because it's like you had the great resignation, which was what now that was like a year and a half ago. And yeah. it just seemed like people were jumping. Yeah, it, it was it was it was crazy because companies were making decisions really quickly, which was forcing candidates to make decisions really quickly. Yeah. And it seems like now companies, I think companies are moving a little bit more slower too and like trying to be more thoughtful with like the hires they need to make compared to the hires that like they have to make because of that switch in mindset you were talking about. Um, but two, you know, it's, it's interesting that candidates now are thinking more like holistically where I think like during the great resignation, it was like, oh, you can, I can get 25, 30% raise, sign me up. It's fully remote. Great. <laughs> and it's like yeah. now I think, I think, because people have made those decisions based on that. And then, you know, you, you find out six months later, you're in a company that's either going through layoffs or you're not really enjoying the culture. It wasn't what you thought it was like. Um, it's an interesting, it's definitely an interesting shift, uh, which I think it's a good shift in a lot of ways, just because I didn't really think you should be assessing things that in that way and being thoughtful about it. Um, yeah. It's gonna be like a gold rush, but um, no, it's, I love it. Well, we, we have, um, you know, we've, we've had a couple other comments here. I know Chris said great advice here. Uh, probably something that you said. Definitely not something I said. Uh, and then Katie just said excellent conversation. So thanks for that, Katie. And then uh, Teresa just said you have it right. Slow two hundred candidates plus. Um, I think I think you know obviously like when with the more candidates you have, like there's just so many other issues that come into play. Like to go through that many candidates is a lot of time and like figure out um you know who's going to be a fit and like you've just it's, it's like a whole different set of challenges now that we're seeing that we weren't seeing um you know six yes. to nine months ago um but i you know i don't want to take up too much more of your time where where can people find you vanessa and if you're not following vanessa too on uh linkedin i'll put her uh profile on this post once i edit it um but obviously linkedin anywhere else that you're creating content or any, anywhere else that people can find you I would say LinkedIn for now until I learn from your TikTok ways. For now. I, hey. I, I will come your way and maybe make a video at some point in the next year. I'm not committing <laughs> to anything sooner. 
<laughs> I like that. I like that. Well, you should, uh, we, we're doing a, I don't know if you follow Hung Lee on, on LinkedIn, but he's got uh, like that serious recruiting brain food. We're actually talking about uh, recruiting uh, using TikTok. Yes, I saw you have that um, coming up. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, definitely uh, check that out if you are, if you are interested. So just check out the recording on that. Cause I do think it's, I think these kind of shifts are all tying together and like, I'm definitely, I, what, what I think is really interesting is a lot of conversations that get started on TikTok end up on LinkedIn news and these mainstream conversations. Mm. Um, you know, I think, I think quiet quitting is probably the one that it's the most obvious, but you yeah. know, it's just started, started on different social media ends up on LinkedIn and, and ends up in conversations. So, uh, anyway, I digress. So LinkedIn, um, awesome. And then in terms of, in terms of like, just where people can find out about policy me and the jobs that you guys have just on the career page or any, anywhere else that you guys are. are yeah. As well. The career page is a great place to go. We're also active on LinkedIn. We have an Instagram account as well. I think we're, we're, we tried our luck with TikTok. It's still like potentially a channel. Uh, so we, we do have an account there, but mostly uh, LinkedIn is the place to go or, or directly our careers page. I will say, Joel, I know we've talked a lot about understanding company culture and you know how you can get a sense of what it's like to work at a company. And I, I think one of the things that we did very intentionally was updating our careers page recently mm. ahead of all this hiring. And we filmed a pretty like real video of what our responses are and what it's like to work at PolicyMe. And it's... Um, it's funny to watch just because you get a sense of the types of characters we are. So that's definitely on there. And I, I think that that is something that I'd love to see more companies do just like real stories, real people talking about what it's like. Cause I think it just helps candidates to really understand the organizations. hundred percent. I've actually got a guest coming on in a couple of weeks and her company, that's what they do. They do the, like the career, like the, I think a lot of times with the career videos, when they're too curated or when they're too uh, like highly produced you can lose a sense of like who people are actually are in there and i think yes. again that's big shift right people want to see like who is it that i'm actually working with and like the quirkiness the fun like the personalities right like who who are these people who are these people not necessarily just like a really well produced music music video which yes. a lot of a lot of movies <laughs> so uh yeah super cool well guys again Follow Vanessa. I, I'd say, like in terms of her content, very thoughtful, and as you can tell from just this live show, um, just really in-depth thoughts in terms of culture and um, startup life and career development, professional development. Definitely go follow her and connect with her. And uh, Vanessa, really appreciate your time. Looking forward to um, lots of people getting value from this, and uh, hopefully we'll uh, we'll be able to do this again in the future when Policy Me is like three thousand people. And uh, we'll see. We can have a, a, another conversation as well. So appreciate your time again. And I appreciate Thanks everyone so much, who's out Joe. there. Yeah, no worries. We've got Teresa, Katie, Chris, Brian, uh, Kenneth, Ron, um, Laurie, so many people out there. So I appreciate all of you for chiming in. And we will be back next week with another episode as well. So thanks, Vanessa. Thanks, Joel. Have a great day. Yeah, you too.